One of the things that we learn in the Gospels is that Jesus loves children. And that seems, uh, it's so embedded in us that it probably doesn't even seem like a, a comment of any note, right? Like, oh, of course you love children. Like, who doesn't love kids? I mean, obviously Jesus was good with children. Uh, but I think we recognize that it's not just obvious that people like kids. Uh, recently, there's been sort of this resurgence in love for uh, Mr. Rogers and what Mr. Rogers did in his work. And the reason it's so amazing is because what? He really loved and cared about and treated as human children. And that that is significant. We're starting to see that not everyone's that way. You may have a friend who does not like kids, right? Um, there are people in this world who don't want to be around children. They get freaked out by children. I am still amazed. I don't know if this is a, a New England versus Midwest thing or it's just like a time thing. When I was a kid, I feel like everyone had children and everybody expected to have children. And now I feel like I'm amazed how many of my friends who are 35, 40 years old say, yeah, no, we're not, I'm not going to have kids. I'm not, that's not me. And that's okay. I'm not trying to condemn that or, or be against those people. It's just something that you do hear, you do see. There are people in the world that don't like children and aren't interested in having them. And we'll kind of tell you like, you know, yeah, that's just not my gig. Other people can have kids and that's fine. I don't want anything to do with them. And yet the Gospels describe Jesus as being somebody who wants to be around children and spend time with them. And so as we go through the book of Matthew, we've been doing this sermon series about uh, the upside down kingdom, the way that God changes our lives when he is in charge of our hearts, when he rules in our lives, it makes us do things differently. And we come to a chapter in Matthew 18 that is largely de dealing with, I believe, kids. Interestingly, he doesn't call it children. He usually says little ones. I think maybe that helps us to make it a little broader for anyone who's kind of vulnerable or in need of help. But nonetheless, I think children are certainly in mind as he speaks. And this is how that chapter starts. Matthew 18, 1. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, Who then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? So he called a little child to him and placed the child among them. And he said, Truly I tell you, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. For whoever takes the lowly position of this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And whoever welcomes one such child in my name welcomes me. Uh, it's, it's really helpful and instructive for us to remember how countercultural this is. Uh, if you studied the Greco-Roman perspective on children, kids were not respected as much as they are today. If anything, we're a little over in love with our kids, I think, right? Uh, many of us as parents, you know, like just document their every step. And, you know, like we talk about this thing in schools now where a child gets in trouble for doing something they're clearly not supposed to do. And somehow it's the teacher's fault, right? Because we have sort of over, uh, overgone this way. But the ancients were very, very different. Uh, it's easy for us to see them as harsh or inhumane when it comes to the way they thought about and treated children. Uh, it's helpful to maybe remember that they lived in a world where infant mortality was really significant. And even childhood deaths were somewhat um, common. 
And so there was a sense you didn't get yourself too attached to a child until you knew they were going to make it just to save yourself that pain. I know that sounds barbaric for us, but uh, children that did not make it to 40 years of age would be buried differently than children who made it to 40, uh, 40 years, 40 days of age because so many of them died that they just had different burial practices. Um, there's a, I was reading this morning that there is a historian who has written a book where he basically claims that Christianity invented childhood. The idea that kids have value and they have lives and that we care about how they feel and what they think about things, that that's something that for Western society was created by Christians. And we certainly know that within Roman society, there were things Christians were known for. Um, most particularly, sometimes when a baby was born, uh, they would do what they call expose the children. They'd like leave the children on the side of the road to die, uh, particularly if they were girls, because they wanted male children. When the baby came and it was a girl, this is no help to me. This is a financial burden to me. And so they would leave the child to die. And Christians were famous in the first and second and third centuries for being the people who were stupid and crazy enough to pick up this financial burden off the side of the street and raise them as their own child even though they had no connection to them. Because Christians always really valued kids in a way the society around them did not. So it's helpful to say that when Jesus talks about this, when he's told, how are you the best Christian you can possibly be? His answer is, be like a child. No one in any social, political philosophical, educational context in the ancient world would have held up a child as the example of how you're supposed to be. But Jesus does. And I think he does in large part because of the humility, right? Uh, there's a lot of things about kids that are different. I knew, Of course, because I'm talking about how wonderful children are, in the middle of service, one of mine started like flagging down an airplane to let me know that she didn't have her allowance, right? This had to happen the morning that I'm being so glowing about children and she had to do something like that. But they're just, they, they trust us. They, they want to come to us. They know that we, they have need. They know that if they need something, they come to us for it. Even when they can take care of it themselves, right? They still come to us for it. You know, oh, can you do this for me? Can you do this for me? Can you do this for me? Please help me. And I think it's that posture of humility that Jesus really gets at here that if we want to know what it's like to be in the kingdom of God, and remember, we've talked so much about how that's a verb, how we live under the rule of God, it's to have the humility to say, I need help. I can't handle this on my own. Please be with me. The willingness to take our own self, sense of self-sufficiency and capability and to go, you know what? I think I can handle this, but I really can't. I need my dad to do it for me. That is a posture that Jesus says you're going to have to have. Because if you come to God ruling your life with the arrogance of an adult, then when all is said and done, you will never be able to truly accept his guidance of your life. You'll always be fighting with him for control. So you have to come to him like a child. And so Jesus starts with this very beautiful passage, but then it very quickly becomes somber uh, and a little more serious. Oh, that's part of my sermon I forgot. Um, I talked about this a little bit. So this is also why our church is kind of the way it is. Like I said, sometimes I feel like I have to apologize for, you know, the 
what we have in here before the kids go to class or even the screaming that we may hear in just a moment or two, right? Um, but I think that that is a way that our church reflects Jesus. I have thought about this a lot. I saw on Facebook the other day a church that has little cards. And if a kid's being noisy, an usher comes up and hands the card to the parent. And it says something like, if your kid's going to be noisy, there's a room for you in the back of the building so that you can take the child and not disturb the people who are worshiping God. Dude! I'm going to kick those people. I mean, I just have to hold myself back. That, I mean, we just, that's not the way we are here. If that's the way you feel about things, I'm sure there's lovely churches in this community for you. But we really feel like our kids are part of our church. They're people. And caring for them and loving for them is what Jesus would have us to do, and they teach us what it's like to enter the kingdom of God. Jesus says, do you want to know how this works? Look at them, follow them, do what they do. All right. Uh, Verse six. If anyone causes one of these little ones who believe in me to stumble, it would be better for them to have a large millstone hung around their neck and to be drowned in the depths of the sea. Woe to the world because of the things that cause people to stumble. Such things must come, but woe to the person through whom they come. If your hand or your foot causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. It's better for you to enter life maimed or crippled than have two hands or two feet and be thrown into eternal fire. And if your eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to enter life with one eye than to have two eyes and be thrown into the fires of hell. Um, It's instructive to me that Jesus um, talks about kids and he is cognizant that he immediately then has to talk about people who aren't good to kids. Right? Like that's just the immediate flow of thought. The kingdom is like this. Be like children. Speaking of children, if you mess with one of these kids, heaven help you. We're going to chuck rocks around you and let you go until you sleep with the fishes. Uh, You know, I mean, Jesus is just really clear here. It is not common that death threats come out of the mouth of Jesus. But here they are. If you cause one of these kids to stumble you're going to wish that you had been drowned to death. And then Matthew uses this this section here about the the, the different parts of our body that cause us to sin. And he's saying if there's something in you that would cause you to want to cause one of these little ones to stumble, just slice it off. Uh, We have done great in church to find ways to read this passage that means the opposite of what the passage says. He doesn't literally mean cutting our hands off. I mean, come on now, that's ridiculous. I think Jesus is using overstatement, but he's using it to be serious. You need to cut the junk out of your life that's going to cause you to do bad stuff. Cut it out all the way, now. We cannot read this passage without thinking about the world we live in, right? We just recently have had this new rash of uh, scandals, particularly within the Catholic Church, about children being abused at church. Um, We can't talk about these passages without being serious about these problems. Um, And honestly, we need to be more circumspect about it. It's really 
some Protestants are really bad about seeing this and being like, I'm so glad I'm not Catholic. Yeah, right, because it's only their problem, right? Because it's only their churches where those things happen? Now, don't get me wrong. I do think that there are challenges of hierarchical uh, church structures and celibacy of priests that... There was a picture of my four children earlier. I don't believe in the celibacy of priests, right? (laughs) You know, like clearly that's not something I'm on board with. And I think there are legitimate theological conversations to have there. But more importantly, we cannot pretend like this is only their problem. This very easily could be our problem. And in a way, it is our problem because your neighbors don't know that much of a difference between the Catholic Church and your church. It's all the Jesus thing to them, right? And so we have to be really realistic about the things that happen and that we have to be on guard against the things that happen. Uh, As a church community, we have to be always vigilant that we do things, right? This is why if you teach our Bible classes, we asked you to do a BCI background check. Does that fix everything? No, but it's at least one step that we can take. There's things that we try to do to make sure that kids are safe in our community. And frankly, I think we're, we're, we're too narrow. We can't pretend like it's just one corner of Christendom. We can't pretend, I don't think, that it's just sexual abuse. And we can't pretend that it's just abuse against kids. There are many vulnerable people who are mistreated by church. And it's more than just the sexual abuse. Okay, obviously that's horrific and it's something that we need to talk about. But sometimes it's just harsh and unkind words. Sometimes it's just a nasty attitude. Right? Like it's possible that you could be such a grump at church that one of these kids doesn't like to go because they know they have to deal with grumpy Mr. So-and-so. Right? And Jesus says this is a big deal. You should not be the reason why some child does not want to know more about God. You should not be the reason why they don't want to go to church. And that can be harshness, that can be anger, that can be inappropriate behavior. Like there's all kinds of ways that we can do this. And I think if we just make it about priests who are committing a certain kind of abuse, we unnecessarily limit what Jesus is saying here. When you get in the way of vulnerable, hurting, helpless people knowing Jesus... Jesus is ready to chuck you in the bottom of the river. And that's the way he feels about it. Um, And so it's it's important, I think, that we are retrospective about this. We look at this uh, within Protestantism, that we realize that we have far from clean hands on these issues. And frankly, we don't have to get defensive about it. Well, that's not my church. That's not me. I didn't do it. Nobody cares if you did it or not, okay? But they care that it happens. And Jesus thought it was a big enough deal to talk about it. And we should think it's a big enough deal that it deserves conversation. Um, A lot of this is putting in proper boundaries and proper just like structures, right? To try to create a world and a community where kids are safe and there's fail-safes to try to keep anything bad from happening. And that's not perfect, and I would not say our church is the leaders in doing this right. But I do want to say that we care about it, and we want to do it the best that we can. Because we are required to, not just by human law, but by Jesus himself, that this is the right thing to do. All right, keeping going on. 
See that you do not despise one of these little ones. For I tell you that their angels in heaven always see the face of my Father in heaven. What do you think? If a man owns a hundred sheep and one of them wanders away, will he not leave the ninety-nine on the hills and go look for the one that wandered off? And if he finds it, truly I tell you, he is happier about the one sheep than about the ninety-nine that did not wander off. In the same way, your Father in heaven is not willing that any of these little ones should perish. So this is a really interesting passage to me. Um, and we can, uh, I'm going to a little, little Bible nerd here. Uh, Jesus had things I think that he said a lot. I think the Sermon on the Mount is probably his, um, his stump speech that he did in lots of different places. Right? And there were probably different versions of it. If you watch a, a modern politician, I hate to use the word politician even, but you know, like we see this, people who speak a lot of, uh, very frequently, particularly on a campaign trail, they have sort of set pieces that they do over and over and over again because they're speaking to lots of different audiences. And I think Jesus had some of these. And what's really interesting to me is where that is placed and how it changes the content based on where it's put. So you guys have all heard this parable of the 99 and the 1. But you probably always think about Luke 15. Luke puts this parable in a series of three parables. The parable of the lost son, the parable of the lost sheep, the parable of the lost coin. And we always talk about it generically as a passage about evangelism. A passage about how we should go outside the walls of the church to find people who don't know Jesus and bring them into the church. And it's like, yes, let's go outreach, outreach, outreach. And I love that sermon, and that's a great one to preach, but that is not the preach sermon that Jesus is preaching in Matthew 18. See, there's a very different context here. How does he go from be good to children to a sheep uh, parable? And I think... And I'm pretty sure I'm right that he gets there by Ezekiel 34, right? That passage that Anne read a little bit earlier was not just some weird random passage like, oh, why are we doing this? It is the theological logic of this chapter, I think. See, Ezekiel 34 is about the Israelite leaders who have been given responsibility to care for the people. And it says that the, leader, the religious leaders of that time are supposed to be shepherds that bandage up the wounded sheep, who when they fall and they get hurt and they get cut and they break limbs, that carefully bandage them and hold them and cuddle them and take care of the sheep. But Ezekiel says, instead of that, you're using them for your own benefit. You're hurting the sheep. You're letting the wolves pick them off. You're not protecting the people who deserve to be protected. And instead, you're victimizing the very people you're supposed to care about. And I think that that is where Jesus makes this shift. He starts talking about how these children are not being properly protected and loved and cared for by their community. And he thinks in his mind, just like Ezekiel 34, and that boom, twists him into his bit about a shepherd. But instead of about evangelism, this is about protecting the vulnerable. Whereas in Luke, the, the shepherd leaves the 99 church people to find the one unchurched person. In Matthew, he leaves the 99 safe and healthy and okay people to spend his time and his effort binding up the wounds of the person who's been mistreated and hurt by the church and her lack of protection of that poor child. 
It's a very different spin on the story. But it still has the same emphasis. You need to leave behind the people who are doing okay and go find the people who are hurting. This is deep into the ethic of Jesus. If you've got a room of 99 people who are okay and one person who's hurt, those 99 people don't matter as much in that moment. And this is a deep going philosophy that we miss in the church. Because far too often someone is hurt and mistreated and abused and violated And we don't care about their needs because we worry about the needs of the other 99. And Jesus says, forget them. You need to go to the herd sheep. This is what it means to be people who seriously listen when we are told that there is abuse and mistreatment in our culture, in our society, in our churches, in our neighborhoods, in our communities. Jesus says the hurt one is the one you worry about. The other 99 can take care of themselves. And that is not some kind of liberal baloney. That is the words of Jesus Christ. We have to be people who are concerned about the vulnerable. Because when we have situations where there are healthy, strong people and weak people, we are the, we stand by the weak people. We are the shepherds who go to the weak one. We are the shepherds who bind up wounds, not who re-inflict more of them. From Ezekiel to Matthew, Jesus is very clear. Your focus is to be different because you are a follower of God. And that means to find the hurt and the weak and the vulnerable. And make no mistake, there is a threat of violence here. This phrase can be overlooked. Uh, it's, it's, it's the only place I think that guardian angels appear to be very clearly in scripture. You're like, we talk about it all the time in our culture. But Jesus says, don't do anything with these little ones because their angels are before the face of God. The angels who are given the task of protecting those kids and those vulnerable people and those people who are mistreated and abused, they hang out in God's living room and do not think that your sins will go unreported to God. He is very clear about that happening. And when you take angels and cease to make them cherubs with little like harps, And you turn them into monsters that will eat your face off like they are in the Hebrew Bible. This is very clear. These children have spiritual superheroes that look out for them. And those superheroes hang out with God. And when you mess with them, they know about it and he knows about it. And there will be recompense that needs to be paid. And so Jesus shows us to look to the wounded and hurting sheep, not the sheep that are doing okay. Um, I said this earlier, we have got to be aware of the fact that this stuff affects us. If you are a Christian, there are other people in this community who just lump us all together, okay? And so our PR is not great right now. 
All right? Like, we just have to be honest. These scandals and these things and these ways that children have been mistreated, this matters for us. And so my hope is that you can have the spirit of the shepherd that Jesus is calling you to be. The spirit that says, I care for those that have been mistreated and have been abused and have been hurt. And I take them seriously and I listen to them and I care about them because that is who God is calling us to be. That spirit, that love of somebody, I mean, it takes us back to the kids and entering the kingdom like children, right? Like kids really get worried when other kids get hurt, right? We love Band-Aids. Children love, right? Oh no, he needs a Band-Aid, right? Probably just because the Band-Aids look cool. But like they have this empathy and this love and this concern. And it's my prayer that we can be like that. There's more in this chapter. I wish we could keep going. The next section is about confronting people in sin and how you do it. And then the chapter actually ends with overzealous prosecution of people in sin, right? So there's balance here. Jesus starts out with the kids and how he entered like them. Then he says, don't hurt them. Then he uses this parable about binding up the wounded. And then he says, if someone does screw up, this is how you handle it. And then he finishes with, and by the way, don't be so harsh in the way you pursue it that you then harm the harmer the way that they harm someone else, right? That's a fascinating way that like he weaves all these things together. But in it, there is this desire and this teaching of Jesus to look for those that are hurt and to bind them up because that is what God has called us to do. And Ezekiel tells us if we don't do it, God will push us out of the way and do it for us. And that's ultimately who Jesus was, was the shepherd who would bind up the wounded. All right. I'm sorry. I could preach a little bit more. So um, let's do our Q&A. Do you guys have any questions about today's sermon or about anything we talked about? Oh, so how do we talk to kids about, like, reporting when they're uncomfortable and stuff? Yeah, so, I mean, that's hard. I don't know if I have a good Bible answer or a good parenting answer, but I'll probably halfway do both of them. Um, One of the things is always encouraging honesty with your kids, right? Like... I want you to always tell me the truth regardless of how difficult it is or if you're in trouble or if you're worried about somebody else getting in trouble. I I just want you to be honest with me. So uh, for me, that's a big thing is always teaching your kids honesty. Uh, Also, there's good resources on like, I mean, honestly, we do this to you all. Um, When we, um, little things about like you never ask your kids how something went when they're with the people they were with. So every time somebody babysits our kids, when they're done, I say, hey, did you have a good time? Did you feel safe the whole time you were gone? Is there anything that happened that you want to talk to me about? But that is always after the babysitter has left our house, right? And I I don't know, some article on Huffington Post told me that was a good idea. I'm not sure if it's true, but like, I mean, it's just one of the little things that we do. Um, But yeah, to me, it's just, we, we uphold honesty. Like, always tell the truth. Um, Even if it looks scary or dangerous, tell the truth. And if you do, it's going to be better than if you didn't. That's kind of what I do. And I think probably has a better option. (laughs) Please.
please eat your vegetable. My body, my rules, mom. Right. so tempted when you said you know only mommy and daddy do showers i'm like let's be even more strict about that only mommy does showers only mommy does diapers only mommy does (laughs) that's just a joke yeah carolyn that's really good i mean along those lines I, i didn't connect this but i mean this is just something we do i'm not an expert we also work really hard like we were talking the other night alpha to never, ever, ever say something that we don't totally believe is true to our kids, right? Like, we just think that it's very helpful for them to know if mom and dad said it, they meant it, and they're telling the truth, right? So anything that would, like, blur those lines or confuse them of, like, are they trying to trick me into something? Like, we try really hard never to do that because we just don't want there to be any dissonance because they pick up on that and then they're like well there's times where you're supposed to tell the truth and times you're not how do I tell which of those is which so yeah but that's really interesting like penalty free zones where it's like okay you can say what you need to say in this space that's kind of yeah, cool yeah I don't even know it's fully penalty free but it okay. definitely is like uh, it definitely is you're safe and it'll be a fair thing I won't overreact right 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 it's a soft penalty Any other questions? Oh, yeah, Tom. When we, when Fran and I did the process of picking our core values as a church, Fran said, well, family has to be one. And I was like, ugh. Like, I just didn't like that as a value. I, I, you know, I'm sorry, I'm a bad person. But anyway, like, it just, I was like, ugh, that sounds so, like, corny. And she's like, no, it needs to be a place where if someone is here and part of this community, they feel like they have a family around them that helps them and supports them. Right, so what I, I guess what I'm saying is, I mean, that's thank you for complimenting everybody, and specifically, that's Fran, right? Like, that's where I get up here to talk, but that's her DNA in this community, and I just feel like she deserves. To Emily's question about how do we help teach our kids about like self-reporting these things and all that stuff. Um, Your kids will be able to know if when bad things happen in your community or your world or in the news or anything like that, they will know if mom and dad take seriously people who report being hurt. And they will know if mom and dad don't take seriously people who report being hurt. And so... You ought to be thoughtful of that. When there is any circumstance, be it personal or distant, where they hear you speaking well or ill of people who have been hurt. Is that, is that generic enough for us? <laughs> Super generic. <laughs> any other questions? Yeah. Not a question, just a <laughs> He's 